Welcome to the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy Podcasts. On this podcast, we discuss articles written in the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy and the implications of these articles for teachers, scholars, and other literacy experts. My name is Matthew Stroke. I'm a former high school English teacher, and I still very much identify as a high school English teacher. Um, I just finished up my first year as a clinical assistant professor of literacy education at Mercer University. I'm also an associate editor of the Journal of Adolescent Adult Literacy uh, Journal. Before we get into the show, a couple reminders real quick. One, every article we discuss here on the podcast is available for everyone to read for free uh, for up to three months. So if you are interested in the ideas in this podcast, I encourage you to go to show notes and read the full article. For example, today we're discussing Megan Davis's article, Every Day Do Something That Won't Compute, Student Perceptions of Daily Poetry Practice. Uh, so if you go, again, go in the show notes. If you're interested in our discussion today, I, I strongly encourage you to, to read the article. Uh, my second quick announcement is that Journal of Adolescent Literacy uh, recently had a call for manuscripts for a special issue on literacies in global contexts. The editors are particularly seeking articles that elevate diverse cultural and linguistic contextual factors within populations of adolescent and adult literacy learners ages 12 and older from across the globe. So if you have any interest in writing, if you've done any, any research in this area or um, have any special expertise to, to write a commentary or do a book review, um, I encourage you to do so. And you can, again, look at the show notes for that full call for manuscripts. Also, my contact information is in the show notes. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions um, about that call. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, I strongly encourage you guys to share it with your friends, share it with other teachers, share it on social media. Um, if you're, if you enjoy the show, I would also ask that you go on Apple podcasts and, and write us a review or just leave us, um, five stars. If you enjoy the show, if you don't enjoy the show, don't leave five stars. That would be dishonest. But if you enjoy the show, leave five stars. All right. So for today, have you ever found yourself dreading the teaching of poetry, whether it's because your own personal feelings towards poetry or your own anxiety around poetry, or if you just kind of fear how students will react to poetry. Well, today I chat with Meg Davis about her article, Every Day Do Something That Won't Compute Students' Perceptions of Daily Poetry Practice. And we discuss kind of that poetry baggage that teachers tend to carry around and students' negative feelings towards poetry that, that they often have and what we as teachers can do about it. Meg Davis is an adjunct instructor and, doc and a doctoral student in English education at Teachers College, Columbia University. She began teaching high school English in 2015. Meg's classrooms focus on creative writing, contemporary poetry, and dialogic processes of learning. Meg is interested in poetry pedagogy, poetic inquiry, and practices that invite poetics more effectively and wholeheartedly into classroom spaces. And here is my conversation about poetry with Meg Davis. Megan Davis, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you. So we're going to talk about poetry today. So can, can you give us a little background information on yourself, your own kind of personal history with poetry, and how you got interested in kind of focusing your research on poetry? Sure. Um, well, I poetry is my favorite thing to teach. Um, as a high school English teacher, I taught for six years before pursuing the study of poetry pedagogy. But I would say... Uh, I didn't have a ton of salient memories, poetry memories, kind of one way or the other until high school. 
and my first one was reading the Iliad. A uh, lot of consternation and frustration. <laughs> really wasn't into it. Um, and then I wrote about this in in the article, but my first positive experience was this: my junior English teacher, who started every class with a poem, and he would hit the lights and kind of saunter over to the projector. I went to the school. I went to high school in the early, er, yeah, early and late two thousands. So we definitely we had the you know the old school projector um, kind of transparency thing. And he would click it on. I just remember even the sound and slide a transparency and then read us a poem that was projected into the dark room. There are no windows in this classroom, and there's just this kind of like meditative space that was created, and we didn't have to do anything with the poem. It was just kind of this transition, and I started looking these poets up at the library. Like, who's who's A.E. Stallings? What, what's she about? And I think that turned into this kind of invitation um, that propelled my teaching and now my research, too, is this kind of shift from this one English teacher who I'm still in, in contact with, and he he knows that all of my work is indebted <laughs> to that, <laughs> that moment. Yeah, indebted to his uh, his lack of teaching, right? His just putting it up there and and not overteaching it. That's interesting, and we're going to get more into that. I think I'm glad you had that kind of positive experience with poetry. You you talk in your article, I think, really well about this poetry baggage that teachers carry around with them. I think any teachers who teach English listen to this podcast know what that is. I think students probably familiar with that too, because we tend to. Um, not, not only carry this baggage, but kind of pass it on to the next generation of teachers who then now carry this poetry baggage. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about what that poetry baggage is that we carry with us? Mm-hmm. Sadly, I think it's so many different kinds of baggage. I think there's a <laughs> there's this you know the dreaded line that I, you we hear too much of. Our students quote their teachers saying, "You know, we're about to do our poetry unit. I'm not really a poetry person." And that immediately deflates the balloon, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you were excited about it, now you're not. uh, Your teacher sets the tone. And I think we've probably all had a lot of that kind of of experience. So there's this kind of negativity around it, a fear. But then I also think there's a few other baggages we have. Uh, One is that it's like this answer key that you have to unlock and you're always wrong and the poem's always tripping you up and you're never smart enough to stand in it stand in it face it um i think that's another another one and i've also i also think some people think it's um just overly like intimate or exposing um too personal to want to bring in front of students or too vulnerable and so i think there's a lot of different like it's either this aggressive hatred, fear, or like this, you know, um, afraid of what it makes us do or think about uncomfortable. It just feels all around kind of like microcosmic of anyone's uh, issue with literature. <laughs> it feels like it poetry gets kind of the worst parts of all of that. Um, yeah. yeah, and and this is not even with this. We haven't gotten to the students yet. <laughs> this is all still the teachers. Nope. Who are feeling these things and and you're right i've seen all of it right i've seen that I'm, i've done a lot of it that expectancy effect where where you will kind of set the tone right for for how they receive the poem and you want to be transparent as a teacher but sometimes your transparency kind of sets sets the bar really low for what poetry is and what it's about and there is you're right i see so many parallels in your work on poetry about literature in general 
about kind of how we go about teaching books, right? Like, are we are we symbol hunting here? Are yeah. we doing this as a whole point just for annotations so we can have so many annotations on our and on on a certain page? Mm-hmm. And and somewhere with all of that, the the joy of poetry is sucked out, not just for the students, I think, but for the the teachers as well. Um, and all that I think contributes, yeah, to this baggage that you write about. I think so much of that baggage too comes from how we were taught. I think we just yeah. kind of we can't help but carry that into your own teaching, even if you're trying to work against it. Um, I think that there's so much of that that we we bring uh, to the, our own our own students, and I feel like we forget that we're humanities. I don't know if it's a post common core push ways of making the science of reading, all these things that make us try to compute in these and compete. Um, both of those words make sense. It yeah. was kind of way that it, we're not, it's a humanities, it's human. It's um, something that's not quantifiable or, you know, multiple choice answerable. And so we try <laughs> to make it feel concrete. I think partially for us, so we feel like we're teaching something. And partially for our students, so they feel like they're taking something concrete from our class. They learned what a automatopoeia was, and they yeah. found two of them in a, in a poem. And so, ha, <laughs> look, you know, <laughs> a useful English class. But really, that's not the use value um, that we should be concerning ourselves with, I think. So, yeah, there, there's no. There's no multiple choice question that says like I just I appreciate this poem as a human and like it touched me deeply. Like there's no there's no checkbox for that one. Maybe there should right. be. Uh, so, in in keeping kind of with that mindset, you take on a transactional framework for your your study and presumably for your teaching as well. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what a transactional framework looks like in the teaching of poetry? Yeah, and I just a quick crash course on I guess what it is too to help give some context it's Louise Rosenblatt and she talks about how there's a transaction between a reader and a text and that's kind of what the poem is made up of is this you know kind of combo network of relationships between you and your previous lived experiences and where you are in that moment in time and what the text the symbols of the text and what they give to you and I think it was really a helpful framework for me um, because I felt frustrated maybe with both sides of the spectrum and how we think about literature. Either I saw literature teaching as something only interested in kind of like explication or translation based close things, pretending that there was no context or angle with might come to bear on our reading of it or our experience of it. The word experience wouldn't make its way into that kind of thinking. And then the other approach where, you can just read something and limply tie it to your personal experience and use it as a platform for your autobiographical like, <laughs> like details. And so reading is like super myopic and not about the text at all. And I think um, Rosenblatt finally gave me this like mid space language for how both of the, you don't need to throw out either of those things um, to overcorrect one or the other. It's actually both. And I think we intuit that, or we know that in our own reading experiences, but don't often make room for that in our teaching. Um, and so yeah, just was one of those frameworks that made made sense to me. I think Rosenblatt talks about how the reader comes to the book from life and resumes life afterwards. And I think we want that to be true with our students. You know, you, we give them these pieces of text that we hope change them in some way too, not just help them think critically or teach them some kind of 
linguistic, you know, move, it's also about um, their life after and uh, moving beyond symbols on a page. So I think it gave me, it balanced the priorities or the positions. And, yeah. and yeah. I, I think a lot of us, you're right, intu- intuitively do this when we read poetry on our own, even outside, like we read the poem, we, we take it for what it is, but we also think about how this, you know, speaks to us and kind of where we are. I remember for me, the the poem that kind of had this moment for me was The World is Too Much With Us by William Wordsworth. I remember reading this in college and saying, I've had so many of these feelings and thoughts for so long. And now here, finally, someone kind of articulates how I'm feeling in a way that in, in a much better way than I than I ever could. And it helped me to kind of understand the poem, but then also understand like me and where I was at at that point and thinking about the the, the view of the world. So that relationship between where the reader's at and 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 the text, um, yeah, I think is a is a healthy is a healthy framework to use when when reading poetry. And I'm sure that the world is too much with us. That even that line revisits you maybe when you have like an inexplicable yes. experience. You you remember the line, and the line does what feels inexplicable like for you. It gives you language, and I feel like that's what at least poetry has so much potential to do for our students too. Uh, it does for me as a reader. I remember the manifesto mad farmer liberation front the wendell berry um poem that the title of the article comes from every day do something that won't compute that Mm -hmm. became that whole poem became kind of like why i became a teacher i didn't know until i revisited the poem and realized that those the the language was living in me for years and i it was dormant but um you know be joyful though you've considered all the facts certain phrases that just kind of buoyed me throughout my early teaching. Um, it wasn't until I reread the poem that I realized it was a guiding force. I think huh. we do that, you know? Yeah. And that's cool. And this discussion really is not about why we should teach poetry, but that this is a good argument for kind of the value of having poetry in, in our lives, both inside and outside the classroom. So, so yeah. okay. So you, you kind of use this transactional framework talking, you know, where the reader brings their own experience in the reading of the text. Um, and then you also have this background of this teacher. You had a really positive experience where he would just put it on the projector mm-hmm. in your darkened classroom. You know, the mood was right. And just kind of th- throw it up there in this windowless classroom. Um, so now with kind of that background, t- t- talk about your project and what you did with poetry. Yeah, with the with the poem of the day. With the poem of the day, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I stole that from Ben was the teacher's name. Um, and I kind of just decided to continue it. Don't, you know, it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. This is really good. Why not mimic it? I don't have to have come up with it for it to work. And so I I took uh, that kind of an homage to him. And I think he got it too from Billy Collins, probably the Poetry 180, you know, mm-hmm. 180 poems or 180 school days. So the project was just that every day on my daily slide, I had a poem hyperlinked. <laughs> um, I would they would be greeted normally to jazz music. Um, I was just trying to create a different transition, I think, um, for them. They go to eight classes, they're transitioning languages, they're coming from German class or physics. You know, you wanna find a way to bring them in. Um, so I would I would read the poem and I kind of saw my role as like curator, um, exposing them to different kinds of, of poems and poets and try to, you know, variety and they 
would sometimes rank them. So in a few years I experimented <laughs> with them, like and gut reaction, did you like it or not? And they kept a running really grungy by the end of the year piece of paper um, with all the poems on it. But yeah, it was mostly just about exposure and, um, and appreciation and yeah, I think that was kind of the project. It was, it, and I didn't yeah. want it to turn into analysis. So I, we, we would analyze poems in my class, but they were never these poems. There was kind of a clear okay. boundary around um, that, you know, we can do different things, <laughs> different kinds of reading tasks together. They're all valid, you know? Yeah. And not to get overly caught up in details, but like, would you, you would project the poem. Would you read it out loud? Would you have them read it to themselves? Sometimes I would play with whatever I thought would work best with that poem. But mm. normally I would, you know, let there be some silence and then I would read it and it would be on the board. Um, and I'd read it from different points in the room. Sometimes I'd sit in a desk with them, so go to the back, the front. What? And if I were to do it again, because I've been out of the classroom for two years now, just working full time on um, my doctorate, I, I think what I would do is involve them a little bit more. I think they I would love it if. You know, I maybe apprenticed them to it and they brought their own um, poems or they would read it more. I, I kind of thought of it as a gift that I was giving them each day, yeah. which maybe it was. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so I, it, it was pretty teacher centric in that way, which I don't always love for the rest of my pedagogy. But it mm -hmm. felt kind of like a, my role was to give them these poems and I would often tie them to a world event or a, um, the season change or the month or something going on at school or what we were reading that day, a theme. Um, it was always somehow intentional uh, with some little nugget that I was thinking it would connect to for them, which I didn't always, I, I seldom explained. It just kind of was there to exist. So, so you just kind of read it or they read it or whatever, and then you just kind of put it, you gave some quiet time and then you just kind of put it away. Was there any response back from the students or no, just kind of, that was it? And... Yeah, sometimes it was really dependent on the personality of the class. I had okay. some that just never said, never said a peep after. It was just yeah. kind of like, okay, that was nice. I taught the classes, yes, I'm familiar. someone would throw a line out back at me, you know, be like, ooh, what is that? Or they'd ask a question. And so, and if, if there was response, I'd always leave room for, for it and we would talk about the poem but it was always it was never initiated by me if we were to talk about it I would let and they knew at the beginning of the year I would explain like you're welcome to use the space after if you'd like to but it's it doesn't I want you to try to <laughs> I'm unteaching how you relate to poetry a little bit here and so I want you to read it like with me <laughs> and, yeah. and feel it decide if you want to say something but you don't have to so it was, it really varied depending on the group. Yeah. I, I, I know I would imagine and it was interesting. You mentioned kind of looking back now what you do differently. That's, can I just tell you, I, I, we released this podcast every other week. I talked to people who write articles for, for the journal of adolescent thought literacy and every, almost every single episode I talked to them and I think, Oh man, I wish you go back to high school now and just redo something a little bit differently. Sometimes like stepping back can give you kind of a better perspective. Yeah. When you're teaching high school, sometimes you're just kind of trying to survive and you don't yeah. have this perspective. Um, but uh, as far as as far as the I, I really like the, the idea of just exposing them to different po poems without the pressure of um, 
the pressure of having to do something with the poem. And this pushes back. I can see how this clearly right pushes back against a lot of the baggage, right? You don't need to be afraid of it because you're not asked, you're not asking them to come up with answers here, right? You don't need mm-hmm. to be afraid of it as a teacher because as a teacher, you're not you're not doing any analysis, but you're just kind of putting it there. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that pushes back, I think, against a lot of the issues that you raised or, or a lot of the issues that exist with yeah. with with teachers and, and poetry. So I like that. And I think the other part of the baggage is feeling like we don't get the poem. So we're afraid to give it to students because if we can't explain yes. every little thing, then, then we're going to look like a fraud up there. And I loved this because I would just throw them a poem that I read the day before that I thought was interesting and strange. And if they wanted to go at it, I would, I would hear what they had to say. And it, it freed me up to say, you know, I just, I like the wordplay, but I'm not what's going on here. What, you know, bringing this to you because it puzzled me. Go I think me too, um, which when I read a poetry book, I don't stop to annotate and analyze every poem. And I wanted to model that they could have that kind of, they could pick up a poetry collection later and, and read it. It felt like exposure therapy. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I think there, there's a difference between like saying at the opening, like I don't really like or get poetry and, and, and as opposed to, having a, a poem of the day and then occasionally saying, Hey, listen, like taking it as a form of inquiry for that student or for the class, like this is an illusion here that I really don't understand. Um, but if you want to look into it mm-hmm. further, like go for it, inviting them um, into the inquiry process, I think is, is healthy. And, and to be honest with your students about, yeah, about, about like, I don't, I think there's this assumption, right. That students have sometimes that English teachers pick up any work of literature and immediately understand all the references and allusions. And and half the time, half of it goes over my head as well. <laughs> so yeah. I think it's healthy to push back against that. Yeah. I think it and then it allows you to have an experience with your students instead of instead of uh, like something more shared, you know, the inquiry process and curiosity. And of course you maybe know more about how to approach a poem or ways you can find out what's going on, but why not let them in on that? I think it's more inviting to future experiences for them too. Yeah. And I think as someone who kind of thinks often like as a researcher and I think about like, like is this effective? Like, is this an effective practice? Huh. This is a little bit tricky, right? Because yeah. <laughs> if you're asking them just kind of to have a positive experience with that, how, how do we measure that? And I'm sure a lot of your students gave you little to no feedback, right? You're just kind of there and you never really hear if it made a difference. Um, And I'm, I mean, I'm sure, like I'm quite certain that for some kids that was a positive experience and they they never told you, but they did other stuff with poetry um, kind of on their own based on that influence. Or maybe, right, maybe like for me and my reading, I didn't appreciate reading, you know, my 10th grade English teacher, but then you get to be a 22 year old man and you realize you fall in love with reading again. And you're like, Oh man, I, 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 all this stuff that I learned in high school that I, I that I'm now using my own teachings coming back to me and you appreciate it more. Um, but so for this article, you went back and you interviewed three mm-hmm. students, right. Who, who did this poetry of the day, who were students of yours when you were doing the poetry of the day or the, the poem of the day. Um, and so talk to me about th- those interviews and kind of the results of those conversations. Yeah, you. I mean, you bring up exactly what troubled me. Like, how? 
did they get anything out of this? Were they just zoning out? Um, a few students at the end of the year survey would often say that they liked it, but um, it's really hard to tell. And you can't really measure if it affected their capacity to read poetry well. I want to think that it did just because there's you know so much research about more reading volume like helps students uh, re be able to read with more ease. So I was telling myself that that was happening, mm -hmm. but it was, it was pretty scary to interview former students. And I sent this email out to maybe 60 of them. Um, just whoever email, whosoever emails I could track down. And I only heard from like 10. So to me that even just told me, Oh gosh, maybe this wasn't <laughs> beautiful for, for them. Um, but they're also, they're all in college and very busy and probably don't want <laughs> to hear from their old high school English teacher. So these three, these I'm three, just thinking about tracking down emails. Like how, I don't even know how I go about doing that. So props for you for doing <laughs> the groundwork and getting those emails. Like I, I have high school email addresses maybe, but even my high school email account has been discontinued. So I don't even know if I could access those. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of them bounced back. It was just, it was yeah. one of those, you know, throwing something into the dark, but uh, the, the three students that talked to me um, were not necessarily the three I would have thought, I guess, if I mm -hmm. were to pick three students who this was really meaningful for, um, which I, I really appreciated that it was kind of three students had enough to say that they wanted to talk about it. It kind of brought different things to the fore and, um, they all kind of, and Rosenblatt's transactional theory leaves a lot of room for this, but they all had really different experiences. Mm -hmm. I would say there's some trends I tried to trace across them, but, um, they all came with different poetry baggage <laughs> and they all left with slightly different, the, the thing that seemed, this is maybe obvious, but doing poetry, a, a poet of poem of the day did do something <laughs> like it did change something because all of them at least had to think about it uh, anew. They couldn't ignore it. It's not just part of a unit. I'd like to some of the things they shared, would that be helpful? Sure, sure. And I, but even in that kind of simple finding, I think it's, I think, that, I think that's important because the, what they felt about poetry and their experience with poetry probably prior to that in high school was associated, I would assume rather negative, right? Because that's generally you hear the groans when you teach poetry, and so any type of any any type of activities we can do to kind of push back against that mindset that poetry is kind of ununderstandable, that it's boring, that it's unrelatable, that's not relevant to their lives. Um, when we can push yeah. back against that by giving them a different new experience um, with the art form, I think is is healthy. But sure, if you want to read a couple um, responses, I think that would be interesting. Yeah, I've got a few. one was just that it was old and boring. Um, okay, yes, one, <laughs> keeping with my comment, yeah. Exactly, right? Um, one was about how, you know, it, it required highly uncomfortable levels of self-disclosure, um, mm. which was from one of my male student interviewees. And then one of, uh, several of them said they thought it had to rhyme um, and it was really rigid and restrictive. Mm. And I think it's that, is in a testament to what they were exposed to. And it feels very similar to the teacher baggage we talked about. You know, that baggage gets transferred onto our students because it can't, we can't help but have it have it do so. So those are some of the, the misperceptions. But then a lot of them, you know, had some kind of correction based on what that initial thought was. So some, one, the girl who thought a lot about um, it being rigid <laughs> um, ended up loving writing it after and took creative writing the next year and wanted to like write more poetry and 
was excited about it as a possibility for creation because she saw so many different kinds of examples. Um, so that was one of the, the change, but a lot of them talked about it being a daily part of life that just gives language for experience. Um, it wasn't, it could be about so many different kinds of things. I guess it, they, a lot of them reflected on just an increased multiplicity, like a, in an understanding um, and a familiarity, like it was no longer weird or inflexible or like gimmicky. <laughs> um, yeah. It was so many things. And they, they also, all, a lot of them said, you know, I didn't have to like every one of them and it was okay that I didn't, mm. it's like music. You don't have to like all. you not liking a song doesn't mean you, you don't like all music. Um, which is something I don't think kids normally give poetry that benefit of the doubt in that way. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think I've, you know, a lot of conversations around books, right. Too, too, we have uh, in that vein that, that not everyone has to like the great Gatsby the same amount, right. It's okay for someone to love it. And it's okay for someone to, to, to not love it. And it's like, that's, there should be room for that. It's interesting, right. The, but those kind of perceptions they had, I think kind of can point towards, again, how we go about teaching poetry um, because maybe they had a lot of poetry in middle school that rhymed and then their high school teachers avoided poetry for the baggage reasons for the most part. Or maybe I think um, I think about my own teaching, like maybe I emphasized the sonnets too much, right? And that structure and maybe they kind of took on that, okay, this is what poetry means, mm-hmm. um, these, these, these sonnets. Um, or the other, when we talk about poems, sometimes we just talk about the the different types of poetry uh-huh. in English class. And, and so then that gets them thinking, okay, it has to fit in these different forms. Um, so yeah, I think even their, their kind of misperceptions can, can help us to think about how we, how, like, what, what, what are they taking away from our teaching of poetry? Yeah. And sometimes you're right. I like that idea just about exposing them to a bunch of different poems written, I'm sure like contemporary poems, as yeah. well as, uh, less contemporary poems, different forms, um, to, to show them that all that poetry can do. So yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting. Hmm. So if you're, if you are, um, if we have uh, listeners who kind of are feeling this baggage and they want to, to teach poetry, w- would you encourage them to do the, the poem of the day? Would you encourage them to do a, a different form of it? Um, so what, what advice would you offer to to teachers who are looking to, to incorporate more poetry in their classrooms. Yeah, I, I mean, poem of the day was great for for me, and it it was how I learned about a lot of different poets and poetry. I I didn't become a poetry lover until I had something that I was doing in my free time before I became a teacher. I think use your classroom as an excuse to to get poetry, get more acquainted with it. Um, sorry for the horns. I live in New York City, so you can probably listen the horns. Um, but I would say, it's always, it's, I always feel bad. Um, we I would we say had sirens that earlier, now if, we have the if, horns. You know, it's great. Finding 100, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. It's just all the sounds, sights and sounds. Um, sights and sounds, yeah. I would say, even if, you know, there's things like Billy Collins Poetry 180 or Poetry Out Loud's website has a lot of, you know, student-friendly poems to pull from if you're looking for places to start. But even if, I would say starting with just even doing, you know, Poetry Month is April, right? National Poetry Month. Try it for that month and see if you like, see if you like what it does in the class. I don't, I think sometimes committing to a whole year thing right away might be um, 
a lot, <laughs> kind of scary. So finding a small way to try it. I also think just in general, um, encouraging teachers um, to have just alternative experiences with poetry, playful experiences with poetry, non-analytical experiences with poetry with their students. How can how can you give them something other than what they are used to or expecting? Um, and I think that work, whether it's poem of the day or something else, is really important and helps them become better analyzers later if they are more uh, familiar, they have, they feel like they have an, they have some authority when they can read and think about and approach a poem, some comfort with the form. And so I think what you can, whatever you can do to increase that, I think one thing my advisor, who's Dr. Ruth Vins, she just wrote um, a poetry pedagogy for teachers. So she wrote the book on this, but she has this. <laughs> literally, yeah. I know, literally wrote the book. <laughs> but she has this chapter where she talks about play and she plays on the word plagiarism. So P-L-A-Y, jurism. Mm -hmm. And thinking about, okay, instead of having a student analyze the poem for its features, why not have them emulate it? Why not have them play with it? Say, oh, I like how, you know, William Carlos Williams, and this is just to say, used like concrete images here and kind of a beguiling tone and it's simple and there's, it's pretty sparse and maybe I could try to write something like that and, and mimic it. Do your own. This is just to say about something you're sorry, not sorry about. And that's a really different way to get intimate with the features of a poem. The thing that the things that are making it a poem without necessarily having to explicate it um, and device hunt. And, and I think sometimes if you put the student in the position of, of writer that can help too. So if we're going to use this as our model, what is the poet doing that you can borrow and steal? How can you apprentice? How can this poem apprentice you in your writing? I think that's an example of, of playing and not going straight to analysis, but, but also not letting go of rigor or academic language to help them do that. It just comes a bit more organically. That's an example of, of another practice I've tried. No, I think that's really good. And that's, I like those activities because then you can point out in their own writing, hey, you are doing these things. And, yeah. and maybe you didn't realize you were doing all of them, but but you are doing these things as you kind of mimic that that expert poem. I, I also wanted to ask you um, about kind of this, how analysis can bring us greater appreciation of a text. Mm -hmm. Listen, I, I love there was too much with this. I mentioned, I'll just go with that to, for consistency's sake. And then I remember kind of since then, I've learned more about the life of William Wordsworth. I've mm -hmm. learned more about mythology and like my appreciation for that poem has increased as kind of my background knowledge around the poem has increased. So I think yeah. there's this argument, right, that I, I understand what you're saying about, about just kind of exposing different text, but isn't there isn't there something about really understanding the illusions and understanding the references can kind of increase the enjoyment of the poem? Yeah, I think I think so. I don't, and I think that's also part of why certain poems that I choose to teach in a more formal way are the poems that I feel that way about mm. where, oh man, I love to sink my teeth into the the way this this illusion is working or the the way the villanelle structure is creating echoes inside of the poem and whatever it is, mm. I think they're I I think one of the hills I was trying to die on as a teacher, which I'm not sure if it worked, was to show that that to break them from analysis as first response, but then re introduce them to analysis as a way of appreciating. Um, and 
I would try to use language of intimacy. So, you know, your best friend or your sibling, like, you know, everything about them, you know, why they do what they do. Like, I'm going to give you one that I think is worthy of that level of closeness. And I, I think we should do what we can to figure it out and language what's going on in the poem, see what it's thinking about and how it's thinking about it. Um, so I, I think so much of that also comes from modeling your own enthusiasm for the analysis. Cause I think yeah. they'd be grown, they groan still like, no, analyzing this poem is like, and maybe don't even use the word analyze knowing this poem <laughs> deeply really makes you, makes you think differently. and makes you see it differently and uh, let's try it. And I think that, yeah, I don't know if they always um, loved the bridge between the, the play and the analysis, but I, I think the playing is not unrelated to the analysis. And I think that was what I was trying to get them to see. Yeah, no, I get that. I, and again, similar conversations with them teaching books, right? Like we mm-hmm. we want to create appreciation for book, but, but books, but I also without symbol hunting or whatever. But I also want to know that like recognizing the symbol and kind of its significance in the story can A, increase your appreciation and understanding of the story, and B, like help you relate it to your own life and think about kind of the symbols and metaphors in your own life um, that 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 can enhance your understanding of your own existence. And so these things are things we should seek, not because we're hunting symbols, but because um, I like how you put it, the in- intimacy involved, that we can understand the text better or the characters better and even ourselves better, um, but we're not doing it just for the sake of that we can circle three similes, right? <laughs> um, I was going to say, I think so much of this comes to timing. It's not that whether or not we talk about similes or, you know, different devices at work in a text, it's when we do it. Um, mm. And I think if it's inquiry-based and a little bit more organic, students are curious about the text or their their initial read has gone a certain way, then then those questions kind of naturally arise, or you also can naturally lead them to the to those noticings in ways that enhance the reading. I think so much of where we misstep is we front load too much of it so that they then go in looking for that instead of like, what was my experience and feeling of this text? What was its effect on me? And then you can have a conversation about the devices to that effect. Like what were they doing um, first? Uh, or second, I guess, instead of front loading. So I, I think it's all, it's more about timing than it is about whether or not to teach teach some of that stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And that timing then shows what you as a teacher prioritize, right? Like you're prioritizing the the other aspects of the poem, and then you're going back and say, okay, um, how 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 does the poet get at these these larger themes or ideas? Um, I I just want to kind of as we get near to wrapping up, talk about their, I just want to make this point there. I feel like with books, I've been making a lot of, I've been making a lot of connections with books and how a lot of the same things are happening in books with, with teaching of books that is happening with the teaching of poetry. But I feel like one of the differences in the past, I don't know, five, 10 years, there's been a really strong push towards books, towards using more young adult literature. There's, you know, these whole movements around disrupting the canon and there's all like free choice reading independent. Like there's been this strong push um, book groups and stuff within literature. You go to conferences, you'll see a bunch of this stuff about ways to approach reading um, to make it more engaging and accessible for students. I haven't seen the same stuff with specifically poetry and I, I don't know why, Meg, I don't know why, but I feel like a lot of the same concerns we have about the teaching of books 
could be applied to the our teaching of poetry too, right? I do think. I do think, and I hope. I <laughs> think there's some there's some cool work right now doing be you know done in slam poetry um, uh -huh. where like hip hop and and lyrics are are elevated to you know study like. Um, and it's been really a really positive shift in kind of bridging student interest or student experience with poetic forms in their world. Um, and but I do think that there's kind of a lot of, of room <laughs> for us to to make some of the similar kind of approaches that have been going on in, in literacy circles for novels in really positive ways, really mm -hmm. considering you know, if we want our students to be lifelong learners, if we want them to be people who pick up books um, yes. in their yes. free time, if we want that, you know, if we, if these things are all true, um, then how do we, how do we change our practices? And I think that's a conversation that we need to translate a little bit more to poetry, but I, I do think it's this, the acceptance and, and big promotion of slam in, in high schools has been uh, a move in that direction in a good way. Yeah, that's a really good point. Thank you for, for, for bringing that up. Because also, like, I mean, with books, we're expanding kind of our definition of what counts as reading and what counts as literature. And I think Slam does that similar thing, right? Expands and, and hip-hop poetry like, ex, ex, expands our definition of what counts as poetry, which I think is a, a good, healthy thing to do. Yeah. So what what's what's next for you, Meg? What Are you, are you planning more poetry research or what current projects are you working on? Um, where, where are you headed with this stuff? Yeah, I, I see, can't seem to get enough. I'm teaching a course <laughs> this summer called the teaching of poetry. So it's, this has all been quite fresh on my mind and, and, uh, fun conversation with master's students. And then I'm working on a, a project with a friend on visual poetry and how, you know, embracing visual poetry in, in classrooms might help do some of the work around decolonizing the curriculum if we're, if we're looking at ways to to decenter traditional you know forms of knowledge how, and how that's being done kind of in novel spaces how does that look mm -hmm. in poetry so we've we've been looking at visual poetry as a way to do that we'll see how that goes uh and doing a little work too where i recently interviewed some teachers who te all teach poetry and, and like it <laughs> enough to want to be interviewed by me. And they wrote poems about teaching. Um, and I, I need to go through that data still and, and look at what's what they shared. But Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Trying to that's find cool. ways, because I, I think sometimes so much of what we love is what we, our students remember of our classrooms, the, the love we, the, the things we really care about or get jazzed about that, students remember maybe a little bit more because there's this affective kind of light around it. At least that was the case as, for me as a student. And so I've been trying to just find people who do this work in their classrooms and, and talk to them and see, you know, what is it for you that makes it work and how can we maybe mobilize or um, collaborate to think about this on a larger scale. So Yeah. And this is a whole, and I, I should be wrapping this up, but I just want to <laughs> go there for a second. The, I, I think there's also a discussion I'm thinking a lot about and, and talking to people about um, about kind of the retention rate of teachers and it's hard to keep teachers in the classroom and how we need to bring kind of more more joy to the teaching profession. Yeah. Um, I know for me personally, I started doing uh, later in my teaching career like book talks because I started to read a lot more mm -hmm. and just do book talks with students about, you know, like once a week, here's a book I've been reading. And for me, I, I don't know how much students got out of it. 
but I got a lot of joy out of kind of talking about the books I was reading and it kind of spurred me on to read more books. And I see the same thing happening with poem of the day yeah. where you're going to, I I would suspect that as teachers do that, they would kind of fall or refall in love with poetry. The yeah. more they kind of get exposed to it and start doing it on a regular basis, which can hopefully to benefit the students, but even just bring, bring their own profession more joy as they read these poems every day. It did that for me. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Megan, this has been a really enjoyable conversation. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for having me. This was so fun to talk about with, with a fellow educator and literacy person. And yeah, thank you. Absolutely. All right. Bye.